Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Some people are going to reject you simply because you shine too bright for them. But that's okay. Keep on shining. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Asia Gonzalez and today the theme for our show is the gift of rejection. And Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. We are excited to announce that Be The Star You Are has just been honored as a top nonprofit for the seventh consecutive year. Congratulations to all the volunteers and supporters because you guys are responsible for making BTSYA first class. So right now I'm going to read The Gift of Rejection by Cynthia Bryan, and this is from our award-winning book. Nothing of great value in life comes easily. The things of highest value sometimes come hard. The gold that has the greatest value lies deepest in the earth, as do the diamonds. Norman Vincent Peale, one of my favorite inspirational authors, who was born in 1898, wrote these truths that, that, that are so appropriate today. It's been said that there are only two things that are definite in life, taxes and death. I want to add a third inevitable encounter, rejection. No matter how kind, great, talented, beautiful, educated, or motivated you are, you will be rejected by someone, somewhere, sometime, somehow. Why, you ask, is rejection a gift? The answer is because it is not what happens to you that matters. It is how you respond. You have to learn when you are young to pick yourself back up and get on the horse if you want to succeed. Babies fall down thousands of times before they learn to walk, yet they never give up. Despite the setbacks, we must take a deep breath and move on. As an actor, I have been rejected more times than I can remember. Continually, I was told, you're too small, you're too short, you're too pretty, you're too ugly, you're too young, you're too old, your hair is too blonde, your hair isn't blonde enough, your eyes are too blue, your eyes need to be brown, you have too much experience, you're not experienced enough. But you know what? I don't remember those negations. I only remember the jobs I booked. Rejection is one of the most distasteful words in the dictionary. Refusals, reputations, turndowns, rebuffs, renunciations, disapproval, snubbing, dissing. Basically, people are shouting, I don't want you, you're not good enough. Since it is certain that from birth until death, you will be rejected, it's a great idea to make rejection your friend and learn to rebound. How high can you bounce? None of us can be right for every situation, every relationship, every employment, even though we think so. When preparation meets perspiration, as my friend Mark Victor Hansen likes to say, and when the planets line up, everything may go your way. 
and then again, it may not. Many people are crushed by their first rejection. A young writer I know named Stephanie shared her teenage stories of broken hearts and how she dealt with the rejection. Every time a relationship ended, she and her mom would go to the backyard and have a burial service for the ex-boyfriend. They'd dig a hole and place a photo, an old basketball schedule, a dried flower, or some memento of the evil heartbreaker inside. Then cover it with dirt and a rock and place the rock on top. After a good cry, she felt better and less rejected. The remedy was to allow time to grieve by burying her sadness at being rebuffed. She could then get on with her life. What a terrific ritual. We won't get out of this world without rejecting, without experience rejection. The secret is to embrace it and never give up. Rejection is a numbers game. For every no, we get closer to a yes. When you hear no, say, next, you have to keep thriving and surviving. When you are feeling down and out, it's hard to get up and get going. You will heal, you will forget, and you will forge ahead. I include a favorite poem that has aided me uh, and mended my bumps and bruises while understanding that if I can be the last woman standing, I'll make it. The author is anonymous, but his or her legacy is a great defense against rejection and of superb assistance for being the star you are. I suggest you copy it and post it in your room where you can see it every day and remember the message applies to both males and females. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you'll lost. For out of the world, we find success begins with the person's will. It's all in the state of your mind. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. Sooner or later, the man who wins is a man who thinks he can. Think of yourself as valuable as gold and as brilliant as the brightest diamond. It takes talent to recognize your worth. You are a shining star. So we have an exercise. It's called Next Hole. The next time that you are rebuffed, think of Stephanie's ceremony. Dig a hole, place a reminder of the rejection in the dirt, and have a good cry, then cover the hole up. Plant a flower on top to grow a new opportunity. With your personal rejection cemetery, you'll empower yourself with the knowledge but there is more to life than looking in the tiny rearview mirror. Think bigger, move forward, and shout, Next! Life is a numbers game. With every no, you are closer to a yes. Be next. As said by Cynthia Bryan. And I love this story because it shows how, you know, even though we rejected, you can still move forward from something like that. And Stephanie's ceremony is absolutely awesome because she's taken something negative that she had in life or something that she just doesn't want to keep in her life and she buried it she got rid of it and what's awesome is that that can be used for anything you know whatever rejection that you have you can take that and kind of have a burial ceremony and it's really cool because you can take all the negativity and not necessarily forget about it but really just get rid of something negative in your life and you will allow yourself a new opportunity And I think that's something that you guys should really practice. And I think it'll help you a lot with rejection if you have that come any time in your life. Having something like that and being able to move forward from that moment will definitely help you become a more positive and opportunity-seeking person. So if you guys want more stories and encouraging chapters like these, check out our award-winning book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, Simple Gifts. For living, loving, laughing, learning, and leading. And during the break, everyone, be sure to check out our brand new radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, and more. I'm Adrian Gonzalez. 
And also, please visit our charity site at btsya.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash be the star you are. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation with an inspirational guest on the topic of rejection. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Channel. Your hosts, the Kids First film critics, preview all the latest movies before they're released, interview stars on the red carpet, and share their reviews with you so you can make informed decisions about what you select to see. Our reporters, ages 7 to 16, will bring you a kid's perspective on these films. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting and inspiring program. I'm Asia Gonzalez, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. Today, our show is all about rejection, and joining us this week is Mary Norris. Mary joined The New Yorker in 1978 and has been an editor and proofreader for them for over 30 years. And she's originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but is currently living in New York. Mary is the author of Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. Her book talks about all the laugh-out-loud descriptions of infuriating problems of spelling, punctuation, and its usage. And her book is informative, yet extremely entertaining, so without further ado, hello Mary, welcome to Express Yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today. So your book is titled Between You and Me. Why is it always between you and me and never between you and I? Well, you would never say between I and you, would you? Mm-hmm. So it's just when people are polite and do not, do not put themselves first, there's a tendency to say I instead of me, and mm-hmm. it's a mistake created by people who are trying too hard to be polite and correct. And there mm-hmm. are grammatical reasons for it, too. Me is in the objective case. And that's what you want to have following a preposition like between. Hmm. 
<laughs> Interesting. You know, the more you think about it, the more you realize that you actually are saying something wrong. Uh, and it's funny when I'm speaking with my mom, she, she'll correct me and I'll say, that, but that doesn't sound right. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, okay, I see. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, we live in a world where autocorrect is now everywhere. Whatever technical device that we're using, uh, it fixes nearly any misspelled word and pretty much a lot, uh, almost all of our grammatical errors. So why should we still care about spelling if we already have autocorrect right under underneath our fingers? Well, I don't know about your version of autocorrect, but my version of autocorrect does not allow me to say anything a little bit different. If I want to say something just as a joke in German, or if I want to use a word that autocorrect doesn't know, or if I make a little typo, it changes the word to something completely different. Autocorrect mm. is ignorant. You cannot trust it. <laughs> it's sneaky. I do have that experience sometimes where I'm on my phone and I'm going to type something. And I mean to say a certain word, and right when I type the first letter, it suggests something else that I do not want. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you find that distracting? It's very distracting, and I do feel like now that we have our phones, our computers, anything in front of our faces that is technology, it kind of distracts us from making real conversation. What do you think about that? I think that that seems true to me. Um, I don't know that there's anything to be done about it at this stage, but Mm -hmm. everybody has her face glued to a telephone, you know. When (laughs) I walk down the street, I see everybody looking at their phones. The first thing anyone does when, you know, she gets on a bus or when he's waiting for a train is get out the phone and start texting or or, um, surfing. And, you know, of course, it gives you something to do, but I think you ought to look around and see your your, um, environment more. That's how I feel. You know, from experience, I have done that before. I feel like when we get our phones out or something like that, when we get on the bus or we get into some sort of public area, I feel that it's a way to keep ourselves from making new conversation with somebody that we don't know. Yeah, I think they're good when you're alone. You know, yeah. I've sat in, I have sat in restaurants by myself and wished I could tweet. <laughs> um, <laughs> as it is, what I end up doing is flipping over the placemat and writing. It, you know, that's one of the things about writing is it makes you feel less alone. You've got mm-hmm. your own good company. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do feel like that happens to us quite a bit. And I think we need to get out of our comfort zones and be okay with starting conversation with somebody and, you know, using our ability to talk to people and create new relationships because that's how relationships are made, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, meeting new people every day. You know, if if our faces are glued into our our phones 24-7, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, so just looking around, you know, you can absorb your, your surroundings. Just, I mean, I'm in Seattle right now. And I'm looking around, and it's so beautiful here. It's the biggest expression of spring I've seen yet this year. Everything is blooming so beautifully. And 
of course, I have to look at my cell phone once in a while, but <laughs> mostly I like to <laughs> well, be where I am. You, you know, are I like lucky. to really be there. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm in Colorado right now, and it's definitely not spring. There's so much snow everywhere. <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> so I envy sorry. you a little bit at, at the moment. But, you know, with your book, Between You and Me, Conventions of a Comma Queen, where did you get your inspiration? You know, I know you're a, a proofreader and an editor for the New York Times. Where did you get your inspiration to write this book? This particular book came out of being asked by some young women who work at the New Yorker's website, newyorker.com, came to my office and asked me if I would write about commas because a writer named Ben Yagoda had made fun of New Yorker commas in a piece for the New York Times. And I had been writing all my life and not had a lot of success getting published. Your theme is rejection? Well, I know all about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a novel rejected and a, a memoir rejected, and I actually kept a blog because then no one could reject me. I was in charge of it myself. But when they asked me to write about commas, my first response was, that's dull. I don't want to write about commas. But then I, I thought I should have some team spirit. And I realized that if I didn't do it, nobody was going to do it. And, and then I, I also saw I have on the, my desk at work something called the comma shaker, which is a canister with perforations in the top that a legendary proofreader drew commas on. And she, she thought that the New Yorker, I mean, she worked at the New Yorker, and she thought the magazine used too many commas. So that was her <laughs> joke to have, you know, that one of our tools was to sh- a shaker that we could just shake commas in into a piece before it went to press. <laughs> so anyway, that gave me a way to write. You know, I could make a joke about the comma shaker. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that I could make a point about the main thing being the meaning. The main thing is to absorb the writer's meaning. And if you get so distracted by the punctuation that you can't do that, then that's really sad. Oh, Okay. So, you know, talking about commas, you know, how you think there were just too many commas in, in an editorial, what is your take on the Oxford comma? Ah, well, I still call it the serial comma, but <laughs> as you know, that is the comma before and mm-hmm. in a series of three or more. And I like the serial comma. We use it at the New Yorker, and... I, I understand, you know, that a lot of newspapers don't use it because they like it, they think it's uh, more fluid without it. The real truth, though, is that it's cheap, It's cheaper without it. Those commas mm-hmm. take up space and ink and paper. So that's why the serial comma went out. But we do say that it is needed sometimes for clarity, and I have a few examples in my book, like one sentence that somebody made up, I believe. We invited the strippers, JFK and Stalin. <laughs> and without a comma, it looks like they're both strippers, pretty obviously. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, my English teacher actually pointed that out to us, and we laughed the whole class because we were just <laughs> looking at all these examples of comma usage and how they're so important for 
for our writing process because if you put one in the wrong place or if you don't put one in the right place, it looks completely different from what you're really trying to say. Exactly. Yes, you really need to get a hold of, get a grip on the comma. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. But I I should say about the serial comma that it's not a moral issue, and as long as you're consistent, you know, if if you work on a student newspaper or if you work on any publication... You just have to either not use the serial comma or use the serial comma and stay consistent so that there's that. I know consistency does not sound like a great virtue, but in print it's very soothing. It is. Yes. It is. People like consistency because if there is any change whatsoever, people will get thrown off and and uh, our brain goes crazy. <laughs> That's right. And you don't want people distracted when they're yeah. supposed to be paying attention to what you're writing, right? <laughs> exactly. So here's another good question, and here's something a lot of people struggle with, and I notice it in, when I'm writing my college papers. When is it correct to use a colon as opposed to a semicolon? Well, a colon introduces uh, usually a list Whatever comes before the colon is a statement that is introducing something. In my book, I describe it as a a butler. The (laughs) butler shows the way. That's what the colon does. It describes what's coming. It it tells you something is coming now that is going to explain what I just said. That's what the colon does. A semicolon has a different kind of relationship. It, it attaches what follows to what came before, but maybe in a cause and effect way or in some ineffable way that isn't quite as straightforward as the colon. Mm. Um, the important thing about the semicolon, really, when you're, you're just learning about stuff like this, and I didn't learn how to use a semicolon until I was in college. Maybe yeah, maybe feel, maybe not even then. <laughs> that's very common. You know, it's people are still confused about that. I still get confused about it when I'm writing my papers. And you know, the thing that you've got to realize is that you know, just as you said earlier, the colon is used to list things while the semicolon kind of connects two ideas together. Yes, and what follows the semicolon has to be a full sentence. That is, you know, it has to, it should be able to stand yes. by itself. Exactly. I definitely agree. And, you know, I got so confused about that for so long until, until my college English professor explained it in a certain way that I was like, ding, I know that now. Now I can actually write my college papers with semicolons and not look <laughs> uneducated. <laughs> oh, good for you. So do you think that most college professors care about correct grammar? Do you have any kind of experience with this? Sorry, experience with? With uh, different college professors having a different view on grammar. Oh, well, only that I remember when I was in college and whenever I tried to use a semicolon, it would come back with a red circle around it. And nobody told me why it was wrong. Same here. I have that exact experience. Yeah, but somebody finally told you then, right? Because I yeah. had to figure it out by myself, <laughs> <laughs> which I did through reading. And a great writer, a great user of semicolons is Henry James. He mm-hmm. has a very subtle way of using a semicolon, especially in dialogue. It makes people seem like they're talking 
with gestures. It's very expressive when Henry James uses it. How cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, my college professor did say, the more you read, the more you'll understand grammar, and the more you'll understand the way it's used, and the more you'll understand punctuation. What Do you agree with that? Absolutely. The best way to learn is to read good things. Mm. And, and, you know, you, if you read first, I mean, people read for content. They read to find things out and to have emotional experiences. But if you can also, you know, sometimes a writer is so good, you can read a sentence over again, right? Or maybe a whole paragraph. You go back and read it again. And that's how I learned. You, you read it once for content, and then if you read it again, you can absorb some of the technique. Mm-hmm. I do some of the, I do that uh, with the books that I read. I read. I try and read as much as I possibly can. You know, but it's crazy how busy we all are in our everyday lives. But when I read a book, I like to read it just for the story at first, and then I'll read it again, and I catch all these little things. And it's so cool to see what I missed the first time around, and then I come and read it the second time, and it's so cool to see what I miss with my eyes, and then I understand certain sentences or, or certain parts in the story. Yes, that's, you know, well, when I, in my work, I always read, when I'm proofreading or copy editing, I always read something twice, and the first time I'm absorbing the content of it, and I catch some typographical errors and yes. some grammar mistakes and some spelling things. And I always think that the second time I go through it, it's going to go faster because I'm familiar with it already. (laughs) And it doesn't. It always takes me longer. And I notice so many more things the second time that I read it. I'm Mm. always surprised. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I have that same experience. But thank you so much, Mary, for this awesome conversation. If you guys want to learn more about her website and her book that just came out, visit www.com comaqueen.net for more information and you'll learn a lot more about her book and stay tuned we're going to have another conversation with her in our next segment and support our show and these amazing segments by giving a donation to Be The Star You Are Charity that brings you this program and for more info on how to do this go to www.bethestaryouare.org and follow our blog again that website is www.bethestaryouare.org also remember to visit our new radio site at Express Yourself Teen Radio And when we come back, we'll be talking again with Mary. So don't go anywhere. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. 
Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today's topic is the gift of rejection, and I'm Asia Gonzalez. We're excited to be back with Mary Nordis, and Mary started with pretty humble beginnings as a milk truck driver and an employee at a costume company. Now, along with her career at the New York Times as an editor and proofreader, she's also published a book on April 4th, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen, Her book is filled with hilarious and down-to-earth information for untangling the most vexing spelling, punctuation, and usage quandaries in English. So, hello again, Mary. Hi. I have to make one correction. You said I worked at the New York Times, and actually I work at the New Yorker, which is a magazine, right? Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. We're like arch rivals, you know? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So for your information, you guys, she works at the New Yorker, not the New York Times. (laughs) All right. So our show is all about rejection, and you have been a longtime editor. So how did you or did you deal with rejecting writers or correcting them? Oh, oh, it was awful because, for one thing, I worked right at the place that I was submitting my writing to. The New Yorker has a section up at the front called the Talk Mm -hmm. of the Town, and it is filled with short pieces, maybe three or four every week, and that's a good section for young writers to break in Mm -hmm. on. And while I was trying to write those kinds of stories, I was also on the copy desk, which meant that... It was my job to copy edit, that is to read and do the setup, market for typography and corrections, any piece that got accepted. And more often than not, my pieces were rejected, and I had to work on a piece by somebody else. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that would be, for me, a little bitter, but I don't want to be, I never wanted to be a bitter person, and envy is a great evil, so... I had to cope with that all the time, and, you know, I just had to keep trying. And when a piece of mine was accepted, of course, it was wonderful. And then I got to see what the editor, we had an editor named William Sean back then. In the, He'd been the editor since the year I was born, which was 1952. Wow. And I was submitting these stories beginning in 1978 
through about 1989. I believe Mr. Sean left in about 86. So there were only a few times when he accepted a piece of mine, and I was at my desk, and so I had to copy edit my own piece, and I got to see what this great editor did to improve my writing. Oh, wow. That was a real education. Oh, I bet it was. So how is it working at the New Yorker? What's that experience like? Oh, it's very, well, it's always interesting. Um, Any job, even the best job, you can get a little tired of after you've been doing it for 30 years. (laughs) I have to admit that. (laughs) Um, And then there are always young people coming in, and Mm -hmm. that's a good thing, too. But one day you wake up and you realize, you know, whereas I used to be one of the young people who just came in, Now there are all these young people coming in behind me, and I'm one of the old people that I used to make fun of, you know. So that's it's always moving along. The magazine has now had four editors since I started, that William Sean and uh, um, an editor named Robert Gottlieb, and then Tina Brown and now David Remnick. And each one has put his own stamp on the magazine, and David Remnick... He's a newspaper man himself. He got started, I think, at the Washington Post. And then he started writing for the New Yorker. And it's really interesting to have a writer be the editor of the magazine for a change. You know, so he submits his own work and he publishes his own work and then we have to edit him. And that's always an interesting exercise. But what I like about David is because he's a newspaper man, he likes to keep things timely. He likes to run stories about things that are in the news, and he gave the magazine a kind of a mission. After 9-11 in New York, after the World Trade Center blew up and, you know, with the planes and all that, he gave us something to do. You know, we came to work and we had to put out a magazine, and it had to be about this terrible thing that had happened, and um, we created... Uh, a wonderful issue that week, and it gave us something to do, and it gave the magazine a mission. Good. You know, it's always good to have that. So do editors really do lots of editing and markups on the editorial document itself? Uh, You're going to have to say that again. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So do editors really do lots of editing and markups on a document? Are are they really uh, involved with it? Yes, for sure. Um, when I started, you used to be able to see them, see their work right on paper, and they're very mm-hmm. involved. You know, they will take out a whole page, they will move something in the middle to the beginning to give it, mm-hmm. to give the lead more interest, and they'll do small things too, um, small cuts here and there, or they'll maybe put a note to the author in saying you need a transition here. So they. They do that on, I, I think they do that on screen documents now mm-hmm. and use the tools of um, Microsoft Word to send notes to the editor. I work on paper more um, because, you know, I don't, I, well, because I'm used to it. We all still do that. And you don't want to make a change that the writer and the editor don't want. So if you just suggest it in pencil on a page proof, then they can take it or leave it. And when it's entered into the piece, you know that the editor and the writer approve of it and like it. And 
you don't have to go changing it back again. That's always embarrassing. <laughs> that is very understandable because I did notice, you know, when you do edits on a Microsoft document or a Google Drive document, you're actually really changing what that person said as right. an edit. And they see that you've changed it. So if they don't really like it, then they have to backspace and then type in what they really had. But, you know, right. with the paper, that's really understandable how you could just write in your edits or anything like that. Yeah. But going back to with Microsoft and all of those typing, all that typing, has technology changed everything at The New Yorker and the way you guys do your editing? Well, there's only in a few departments. It has changed, um, you know, it really has changed the flow of work a lot. Mm. We, it used to be that we did everything on paper and we sent a proof to the printer who was in Chicago. We were in New York. The printer was in Chicago. The uh, state-of-the-art communication then was the fax machine, believe it or not. And there was a <laughs> department that would fax these proofs to the plant in Chicago, and they would reset the type. You know, this was hot type. Now they've made the switch to cold type, and then once we all got desk computers, we're, we're basically a desktop publishing outfit now. You know, we do all the work ourselves and, and then just send the finished version to the plant. I don't think it's in Chicago anymore, but it is somewhere out there. It's, I think it's in Kentucky. Oh, okay. So that has changed. What has not changed is the attempt to create a perfect magazine mm. every week. Yeah, definitely. We do, you know, we've had to adapt to the computer, and I, I don't know that it has saved us any time. <laughs> I, I don't know what it has saved. Maybe it saved somebody money. It does give you more control over what you do, but it seems to take just as long to do things as it ever did before. And that's strange. You know, people really kind of assume that technology would speed things up and make it more convenient, but what you just said is actually really surprising. Yes, yes, it's true. So, you know, with times changing, with technology being introduced more and more, we also have rules of grammar and punctuation that change as well. Do you think that the apostrophe is still important, and do you feel like the rules changing in grammar are, are relevant? Oh, of course. Um, yes, they are more than relevant. They're very important. The apostrophe is, I'm afraid, in danger because of texting and keyboards. And, you know, I, I, you have to change. I, on my phone, have to change screens in order to insert an apostrophe. And I do it because I'm a fuss budget. <laughs> but um, I think if I were 16 years old, I would say, hell with it, and I would just do without the apostrophe. Um, and maybe the movement should be toward putting the apostrophe on the main screen. I don't know. But that's less than, the apostrophe is really an issue of spelling. And the more important thing right now, the most important thing or the, the thing that is causing the most conversation is the fact that English does not have a pronoun that mm -hmm. means he or she or some that has gender neutral for a person. Yes, I did notice that. I was just about to ask you about that, actually. I was going to ask you about your opinion on gender neutral third person singular pronouns because we really don't have something like that. 
Yes. I, well, what people are using and what um, this is society called the American Dialect Society mm-hmm. has proposed is that we use they instead yes. of he or she or um, people have even made up words. They're trying to substitute a German pronoun, the Z, S-I-E, is, or Z-I-E. And mm. I don't think that'll work because pronouns run really deep. They do. Uh, yeah, I've noticed more and more. Um, and I have a friend whose father once said to her, don't call your mother she, <laughs> which <laughs> seems so funny. Well, what's wrong with that? It's accurate. Yeah, but it somehow, is accurate. That's I don't know, strange. somehow he found it insulting. He, he, his daughter should have said mother or mom, you know. <laughs> so uh, pronouns, really, people are very sensitive to pronouns. And my feeling about it is that if a person does not want to be referred to as he or she, and if that person prefers to be known as they, even though I think of they as plural, I will give that person the benefit of the, of the doubt and call them they. Mm-hmm. If, if it'll keep them from anguish, I, I guess it just—it's just based on preference. Yes. And you, I was wondering what you thought about vulgar language. You know, why do we incorporate vulgar language in our everyday speech? Well, we're just trying to be expressive, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, sometimes vulgar language is funny. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it expresses anger. I, I have to admit that it can be overdone. I it kind does. of like it myself. I don't have children, so whenever I'm around someone with a, a little kid, I have to be careful how I talk. Pretty soon <laughs> I will hear that little kid saying, you know, blasphemic, <laughs> blaspheming <laughs> and things, saying very vulgar things, and that's not exactly. good. Exactly. <laughs> So um, I can, I've noticed lately, you know, I have a whole chapter in my book on four-letter words and vulgar language and profanity, mm-hmm. and I noticed that the, that chapter had the most mistakes in it in the first edition of my book, oh. and I think it was cursed. <laughs> <laughs> no um, pun intended. <laughs> <clears throat> It just turns out that it's really hard to proofread profanity. It is. It's hard to look at it. It hurts, you know, it's hard on the eyes. Your eyes glance off of it. <laughs> at least mine <laughs> So are there, are there rules for vulgarity in print? Well, when you're writing, when you're a journalist, if somebody uses vulgar language you, and you're quoting that person, you have to put the vulgar language in. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. yeah just for accuracy. Mm-hmm. The, writer, the writer herself has to be more careful about whether or not to use profanity. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily hold up that well. And you shouldn't use it just gratuitously, just throw it in. Um, sometimes when I am writing, you know, in pencil on paper, a rough draft, I will put in a, a profanity you know, the famous F word, I'll just throw that in, but later take <laughs> it out. It gives me pleasure to put it in. <laughs> Especially it when you're expressing your emotions. Yes, exactly. Um, and then later it may turn out that you don't need it, and so you take it yeah. back out again. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that it applies to all of us. You know, when we're feeling that anger or or anything like that, you know, we'll we'll just throw something in there. And... 
I do, I do feel like it's a form of expression, but people can get offended by that, which also makes it pretty hard for an editor or journalist to really put those kind of words in their, in their pieces, even though it may seem harmless to them. You know, some people may, may take it the wrong way. But thank you so much, Mary, for this awesome and terrific discussion. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, it was really fun to talk to you, Asia. I really hope we hear from you again, and I would love to have you on the show again because you're just an awesome person, and you have a great personality. Oh, and thank you. You're welcome, and thank you for talking with me and being on the show. And to see where you guys can order Mary's book, go to www.comaqueen.net for more information. Definitely check out Mary's book, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. And during the break, be sure to check out our charity, charity site at btsya. Org, which stands for the Be The Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy, and Positive Media Charity. I'm Asia Gonzalez, and don't forget to check out our newly refurbished site. I think you guys are going to like it. And when we come back, we're going to continue our inspiring conversation on rejection. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week? It's the fame game. Listen as Maddie Rose, who is up and coming in the world of fame, brings you fame from all walks of life. You'll hear from doctors, teachers, mentors, life heroes, as well as those in the fields of acting, movies, music, and more. Who knows? You might be the next one Maddie Rose talks to on the air. Listen for the fame game every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Asia Gonzalez, and our program is Express Yourself. And today, the theme for our show is the gift of rejection. So as we all know, all of us will face rejection at some point in our lives. And some can face it more than others, but the key is how to process it and use it to your advantage. And being a public speaker and a business owner, I've faced rejection more than I would have liked to face so far in my life. However, this has allowed me to see past the personal heart that I think is going to affect me, going to affect me, and look at how it will propel me forward. And I like to think to myself, there is going to be something better out there sometime. 
And there could be a better opportunity for me to connect with someone during my speaking engagements. There's definitely going to be a better opportunity to promote my business and a better way to promote my products. And, you know, maybe you didn't get the job you wanted or something that you had hoped for, but there will be a better chance to get what you had had aspired to. And at that point, it's the best time to keep an eye out for a better opportunity at whatever you are doing. You know, if that's a better job opportunity, if that's a better relationship with someone or a better way to connect with somebody on a certain level. You know, rejection may seem harsh at the moment, but when you reflect on it, there will always be that moment of enlightenment. And the best thing to do is always recognize your self-worth. Never, ever self-criticize, you know. Now, when you when you face rejection, you're thinking, oh man, you know, maybe I'm not good enough or, you know, how stupid of me to do such and such, you know. Now that, my friends, is, a, is where your inspiration for self-growth is thrown out the window. Uh, and when, you, when you're rejected, you know, you can look back and think, you know, this may have been a time that just wasn't right. You know, maybe something that I have wanted, it's not the time for me to receive that. So we can think about how we can process this. And we make mistakes and we learn from them. How? We think of what not to do next time. You know, we avoid the bad choices and pay attention to making the right ones. And just like mistakes, rejection teaches us. You know, we learn to look for the opportunities that will project us in the future. And we don't use the rejection to constantly put ourselves down. Uh, When I did my very first public speaking engagement. I was at the Concordia University in California, and it was my very first time ever speaking to more than maybe five people at once. And I was in front of at least 100 students, and I was talking about my my adventures with owning my own business. Uh, I was about... Let's see, I think I was about 14 years old, 14 or 15 years old at the time, doing my very first speaking engagement, talking to all these kids about my adventure and my journey and and trying to inspire them to become entrepreneurs. And the entire time I was worried about what people were going to think about me and, you know, were was this audience going to reject who I am? Was this audience going to reject what I was speaking to them about or my ideas Or, you know, are they even thinking, you know, how does this girl have nearly enough experience to be telling me what I need to do? And when I finished with the speech, I went into the audience for lunch. We had a lunch afterwards. And I began speaking to some of the students that had come to see me speak. And every single one of them had told me what a great job I did. And there was one student where I was talking to them where they did not seem thrilled at all to be there. (laughs) And I was thinking at first, oh my gosh, you know, this person did not like the way I was talking. And I, I, I didn't do a good job. And I, all these ideas kept running through my head that I, I, that I did such a terrible job, you know, never mind other people that just told me that I did such an awesome job at speaking for my very first time. The only thing that was running through my head was this one person that wasn't connecting on me with that, connecting with me on that level, and it didn't give me the enthusiasm that I was hoping for, like everybody else did. So I, in turn, afterwards, after coming home from that engagement, 
I was thinking about that one person that was there that didn't seem very psyched to be at that speaking engagement. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that person was having a bad day. Or maybe that person just wasn't as into entrepreneurship like everybody else was in that class. Or maybe that gives me some more insight on what I should do better when I'm speaking. You know, should I have a better uh, level of enthusiasm? Should I look people in the eye more often? Should I try and create more jokes? And that's the way that I think we all need to look at at rejection is what can I do better or what other opportunities are going to come my way? And especially with owning my business, you know, starting at 13 years old, I had no idea what I was doing. I had, I have never owned a business in my life. You know, I, I didn't even have a job at 13 years old because you're technically not able to do that anyway. So I came to my mom and dad about this idea and I'm talking to them about how I want to use this business to be able to further my career and knowledge about becoming a fashion designer. And I was thinking, how in the world am I going to get this off the ground? And we talked to some people, we talked to a few people who had printing companies to be able to make our shirts for me. And, you know, so many people were telling me, you, you know, you're, you're just a kid, you're not going to be able to do this. You, you have no knowledge whatsoever on how to even run a business or let alone how to sell a couple shirts. And at first that hit home pretty hard. You, you know, it got me thinking, I am only 13 years old. What the heck am I even doing? <laughs> you know, I should be focusing on getting my hair done and going to get my nails done and hanging out with my friends at the mall and, and getting my first cell phone. And, and you know, all those, all those things were running through my head. And then I thought, you know, I'm 13 years old. I'm doing something that not very many other teens are doing at the moment. So, you know, the more that I've gone through this journey of owning my own business and having my own charity and doing things that are part of my passions, you know, being on the radio and talking in front of people, I've learned to use rejection as sort of a push forward, you know, kind of like a, a blast off for me when I'm, when I'm going to do something new. And, uh, one thing that I aspire to do is is have my own radio station, and there is always going to be some sort of rejection in that industry. You know, you, you hear of so many people getting rejected rejected for casting calls, and you know anything in that type of industry. You hear about all of that, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what the rejection I'm going to face. So, for anybody who's listening, anytime you guys are rejected any at some point in your life, use that as a way to build yourself up and build your self-worth because know that you are so important and you are so special and you have so much potential to do anything that you dream of. So whatever rejection may come your way, use that to propel you in your future and your success. But uh, sadly, guys, we have no more time. And thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and The Voice America Kids Crew, especially engineer Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. And thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm, I'm Asia Gonzalez. You have, listening, have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For more information on our creative community, go to btsya.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be proud to be you, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. 
Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines If you would let yourself